Today we continue in our series that we're calling True North, and we've come to the ninth of the Ten Commandments. We're thinking about how these Ten Commandments that we find in the Old Testament help us reorient ourselves, help us determine the direction that we're going in our lives and allow God to speak into our lives so that we can go in the direction that God is calling us. Last week, Zach uh, preached for you on the eighth of those Ten Commandments about stealing. And today, we come to the ninth of them and we'll finish up next week. Today, we're thinking especially about how we talk and what we say, and just how important our words are as we think about the ninth commandment that speaks to us about telling the truth. You know, our words really do matter, and they have an impact on us and the people around us. Yet years ago, before we were in ministry, we were attending a, a small church in North Georgia, and the minister there was sort of a, a country boy who had gotten a lot of education but knew how to hide it, okay? And he was a real... Yeah, okay. They, he was a really good guy, all right? But he served up a lot of verbal bologna sandwiches, if you know what I mean. He talked a lot, and he said a lot. And, and one of the things that this church liked to do on a Sunday evening after church was to have sort of an ice cream supper, right? Everybody made homemade ice cream and brought it in, and sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? I mean, share ice cream. So one time we had that ice cream supper and, and one of the great couples in the church brought in their favorite, sort of their prized ice cream, which was banana ice cream. And the preacher made a big deal about that ice cream, about how much he loved banana ice cream and how this was the best ice cream he had ever eaten. And man, they were, they were thrilled. And so for every event in the life of the church, if it was not the middle of winter, they brought banana ice cream. And Dean, the preacher, got the, the biggest and the first bowl of banana ice cream at everything that we did as a church. Only later did I find out he really didn't like that banana ice cream. <laughs> but his words were rewarded with a lot of banana ice cream throughout his ministry there. Our words do matter, don't they? They have an effect on us, and they have an effect on the people around us. And in fact, sometimes we say, well, if we're thinking about speaking the truth, is that, really, is that really such a problem? Well, the thing is, sometimes we do, well, we say things because we, we want to make people feel better. Or maybe we're afraid to say things because it might make someone feel bad, and so we don't want to broach that topic, and we keep our mouths shut, and we pretend like everything's okay, and we say nothing. Because it's hard to confront difficult issues. And so when we see a marriage struggling, we think, well, that's really not any of my business. I'm not going to say anything. When we see one of our students sort of headed in the wrong direction, we say, I don't know them very well. I don't know if I can say anything that would be meaningful, and we keep our mouths shut. We see someone who's struggling with some kind of abuse, some kind of physical, I mean, some kind of uh, addiction that's causing them all kinds of problems in their lives and their relationships, and we're afraid to deal with it. We don't say anything. We're afraid to speak the truth. And we keep quiet. We have the opportunity, and our words have an impact. They make a difference on the lives around us, and we say nothing. We're afraid to speak into that. Now, what's interesting is some of us have that, that one sort of set of, of issues that keeps us from speaking difficult things into the lives of people around us. And sometimes that's especially true for church leaders, okay, because we want to be positive, we want to encourage people, we want to make them feel better, and so we, we don't deal with the difficult stuff. 
On the other hand, we have this sort of competing set of motivations, which are also at work. You know what happens when we get hurt? You know what happens when someone does something that causes us emotional pain? They say something that hurts. They say something about someone we care about, and it hurts us. It's really easy to begin to talk, right? It's easy to begin to talk about that person. And sometimes it's really easy to exaggerate that person's faults, exaggerate what that person has done. Not necessarily speaking the truth. And that has an impact because we're assassinating the character of another person. It hurts their reputation, but we also know it hurts us. It hurts our hearts. It hurts what people think about us. Our words have an impact. They make a difference. God knows that, and so he speaks to it over and over again in Scripture. And so when we come to the ninth of the Ten Commandments, we find it in Exodus chapter 20, and it's verse 16, and it says this. It's direct, just like all these at the end, until we get to the very last one. Verse 16 says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Pretty straightforward, right? Don't give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, we can even, you know, several hundred thousands of years later, moving from Hebrew to English, ancient Hebrew to modern English, we can still hear that there's a courtroom kind of element to this command, right? Don't bear false witness against someone. Don't speak as a witness about someone else, about something that they have done, because it can be destructive. And and in this instance, who's your neighbor? This is anybody in the community, okay? That's who they're talking about. I mean, this is speaking to the Jews, speaking to them, sort of preparing to go into the promised land. If they looked around, the people they saw, that was their neighbor. So don't speak falsely. And originally this meant in court about someone because that has far-reaching implications. Now we can understand that. Because the court system of that day was based entirely on the testimony of eyewitnesses, right? I mean, this is before the day of fingerprints and DNA evidence and all the things that we call forensic science. None of that is present. So if there's some kind of crime committed, the way you, you uh, find someone guilty is you got someone who saw it happen. And in fact, they expected that there would always be two people. No one could be executed on the testimony of one witness. And so you had to have two people who had seen it. So what happens if people start testifying falsely in court? Then the integrity of the whole court system is lost. No one trusts it because people are just lying about stuff. And, you know, we can even see this today, right? Even in the presence of lots of different kinds of evidence that could be at work in a court system, testimony of eyewitnesses still matters. And if people lie, it has far-reaching implications. And so the integrity of the court system was at stake here for Israel. And God knew that, and God spoke to this. Now, we see a great example of this. If we turn over to 1 Kings chapter 21, this is many years, hundreds of years after the Ten Commandments are given, but also hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. So we have the, the kingdom of Israel. It's one kingdom at first, and then it's divided into two kingdoms. The north is Israel, the south is Judah. In the north, we have this series of terrible kings, and one of the worst of them all is a man named Ahab. And Ahab has a wife named Jezebel, you might have heard of as well. And Ahab the king is sort of sitting in his palace, 
Uh, probably on the roof as a courtyard above. He's looking down to the, the things around him in the city of Jerusalem. And one of the things that he sees that adjoins that courtyard is a vineyard. And it's really nice. I mean, it's one of the best in the country. And he looks down on it and he thinks, man, that, that adjoins my property. I really like it. It's beautiful. I want it. Okay, simple enough. He's the king, right? And so he calls on the man who owns this vineyard. He's a man named Naboth, and he offers him a fair price for the vineyard, and he expects that Naboth will say, okay, I'd love for the king to own my vineyard. And Naboth says, no. This, this vineyard has been passed down for generations in my family, and I'm not about to give my inheritance from my ancestors away for, for money. There's no amount of money that's going to change his mind. And so Ahab, disappointed, sort of throws a little pity party for himself. I mean, here's the king of Israel, and he's over in the corner sulking because he can't buy a vineyard that he really liked. And Jezebel walked in and saw her husband in this condition and said, why don't you act like the king? And so she called two men together, and she paid them to be false witnesses in the court. And they accused Naboth, the man who owned the vineyard, of blaspheming against God, a capital offense, saying that God is not God. And they testified in court, and Naboth is drug out and executed. And Jezebel says, this man has been dishonored, everything he's owned has been dishonored, just go in and take the vineyard for yourself. And that's what happened. But that's not the end of the story. The prophet Elijah came calling on the king. And this is the judgment that the prophet pronounced on the king, and he's speaking for God. And we find this in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 21. He says, God says, I am going to bring disaster on you. Who? Ahab. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. Your family's over. Then it gets a little more graphic toward the end, just so you know. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, the first king, who was just as evil, son of Nebad, and that of Baish, your son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. And then this. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. Real pleasant, huh? That's how serious this was to God. That's how much it mattered. That Jezebel would choose to do this by paying people to bear false witness, to testify falsely in court about an innocent man so that he would be killed. That's how seriously God took his instruction in the ninth commandment that simply says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So as time passes, this command that originally was really focused in on the court system has its application expanded a bit. It grows and people realize that bearing false testimony has a lot to do with, with the way you live in community because the community is, is affected when people tell falsehood when people avoid the truth, 
Remember, we've talked about this, that the Ten Commandments is designed in part to form a community that can pass on the covenant that God has established with his people. God has called this people into a special relationship with him, and he wants all of the descendants of this people that were brought out of Egypt, he wants all the descendants to be involved and connected to him in this covenant. What happens if they're a bunch of liars? Then their children are not going to care about the covenant. Their children are not going to care about this God who has called them into a relationship. And so it matters that they speak the truth. And this continues, and Jesus built on this, we find it in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus often takes Old Testament commandments and then expands on them and applies them in new ways, and we hear them in fresh ways. Jesus is speaking about a similar command, but one that's slightly different. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33, he says again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago. Here's the command that was spoken. Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Okay, so, so Jesus is speaking to a command that says, if you make a promise, keep the promise. If you make a, a, a vow that says, I promise I'm speaking the truth, it better be the truth. But he says, I tell you, don't swear an oath at all. So you don't have to say, I promise I'm telling the truth. I promise by the temple itself that this is the truth. He says, don't do that. Don't swear by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. What Jesus is condemning is they often swore by certain things, but there were loopholes. If you say, I swear by the temple, well, that's not good enough. But if you swear by the gold that's on the temple, then you have to speak the truth. Jesus says, don't play those games. Okay, you shouldn't have to do that. Here's the application. We need to hear, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What's he saying? He's saying that, that followers of God in the Old Testament and his followers in the New Testament should be so characterized by truth-telling that when people hear them speak, they don't have to worry about whether it's true or false. They don't have to wonder whether the truth is being spoken here. And they don't need some kind of oath that says, I promise you I'm telling the truth. And I promise by the temple. Not even just the temple, the gold on the temple. They just speak the truth. And when the truth is spoken, we don't have to worry about whether there's a lie or a falsehood. We're characterized by truth. And that's what Jesus is getting at, that we as Christians simply speak the truth and people will know that we're speaking the truth. So what's the lesson for us? Community is built with honesty. If we're going to have a healthy community, whether we're talking about the people of Israel, whether we're talking about them bonding and becoming a nation, the people who's just been brought out of slavery, or whether we're talking about the church, or even whether we're talking about our own families, our relationships with friends. All those things involve community, celebrating what we have together. Community is built with honesty. And when we are characterized as people who speak the truth, even when it's difficult to hear, when we speak the truth and we're not critical of other people, speak the truth in love, Scripture says, then community can grow. The relationships within the church can grow. Our relationships with our spouses and our kids and our parents can grow. 
our relationships with friends can grow. When we can depend on the fact that the people around us are speaking truth, then those relationships in community can grow together. That's what we're being told here. That's what matters here. That we can't have healthy relationships if we're not speaking the truth to one another. And truth-telling is not always easy. What we say about ourselves and what we say about others matters. And it's not just banana ice cream, right? It's stuff that really does matter. We often have the opportunity to speak to people, to talk about what's going on in their lives, to share with them, to point out, I'm worried about where you're headed. I'm worried about the direction. And we don't have to say that in a condemning way. We say that when we're concerned. And when we speak that truth, we have an opportunity to walk with that person and help them walk in the right direction. And we have to watch ourselves on the other side when we have that impulse to say something about someone that's negative that may or may not even be true. We know that those things destroy community. If community is built with honesty, it's torn down with dishonesty, especially destructive talk. And so what this passage is saying is, Don't give false testimony about another person, whether you're in court or you're in the foyer of the church. Watch what you say about people. Because when we speak falsehood about the people around us, we tear that community to shreds. And so we need to hear this passage. Some of us would say, well, I'm not too worried about giving false testimony in court, but But we do have to worry about giving false testimony in the office, at work, or on the ball field, or in the car, or on the phone. Because we don't always think that through. And we don't always think about how constructive our language could be, or how destructive it sometimes is. So where are you in this? If community is built with honesty, are your words building community? Or are they tearing it apart? And for most of us, we probably have to admit it's a combination of the two, right? Because there's things that we've said that we've tried to build people up and help them grow and help point them in the right direction. And there's been times we've said things that should not have been said and avoided saying things that really needed to be said. But maybe what does need to be said in your life? And who's that one person that if you're really honest with yourself, the way you've talked about them, man, it comes close to giving false testimony. And how can that stop? Community is built with honesty. Let's pray together. God, we come before you and we ask that you would help us to have language that builds up. Language that is constructive. Language that challenges people to do what's right language that encourages people to seek after you. God, help us to speak the truth even when it's difficult and avoid speaking falsehood even when we're attracted to it. God, our words matter. We know that. Your words matter to us as well. So help us to fulfill them. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Encourage you now as we have our invitation time. Maybe you've been considering making a commitment to Jesus Christ. 
putting your faith in him and then being baptized into him. If you've made that decision, we want to know about it because we want to give you the opportunity to do just that. We'd like to walk with you on that journey to following Jesus. Or, or maybe you've done that and you want to be a member of our church. If you've made either one of those decisions, we'd like to know about that. Come forward as we stand and sing our invitation. Let's stand together.